I recently uh, came across a story told by the dad of a four-year-old girl, Becca. Okay, this dad says that they were on a family vacation. They were, they were camping in North Carolina, and their campsite was adjacent to this beach. And one day they were getting ready to go for a swim, so they'd already put a little swimsuit on four-year-old Becca. And as mom and dad were getting ready, they looked up, and to the horror, they discovered that Becca had wandered off, probably toward the beach. And so in panic, they booked it to the beach. They told the lifeguard right away, our four-year-old daughter, Becca, she's lost. She's lost. Then mom bolted down the beach in one direction. Dad headed off in the other direction. As he tells the story, he ran right out of his flip-flops. He was just going so fast, left him in the wet sand, stopped everybody he met along the way and said, have you seen a little four-year-old girl, long brown hair, blue swimming suit? Name's Becca. She's lost. Nobody had seen her. And so he's running down the beach. And then finally, finally, he spots her, and little Becca, she's oblivious to what's going on, right? She doesn't know she's lost. She's picking up seashells, and so Dad slows down real quickly because he doesn't want to startle her. He says, Becca, and she looks up, and she smiles and reaches up, and he grabs her in this bear hug, and then he remembers, he remembers that his wife is headed the opposite direction, doesn't know that Becca has been found. So with Becca in tow, he rips in the opposite direction till he finds his wife and puts her heart at ease. As the dad tells the story, he said, the real startling part of the whole story is that Becca didn't realize she was lost. I mean, we did. Her parents knew she was lost, and we knew that being lost as a four-year-old was potentially dangerous. Now, his dad's name is Tim Harlow, and he's written a book called Life on Mission in which he tells this story. Life on Mission is a book for Christ followers. It is an inspirational challenge for us to search aggressively for people who are spiritually lost, for, for people who are far from God. And ironically, Tim points out, many of these people have no idea they're lost. They, they have no idea that their lives are in great jeopardy. They're just strolling down the beach of life, as it were. But those of us who recognize the seriousness of their situation, Tim says, we ought to be searching for them with a sense of great urgency. See, this is exactly Jesus' point in Luke chapter 15, where he tells not one, not two, but three parables, one right after the other, about lostness. Now, the first is about this lost sheep that wanders off, and when the shepherd discovers the sheep is gone, it's, oh my goodness, he leaves 99 sheep in the fold, and he goes over rugged terrain, and he doesn't stop until he's found the sheep, the lost sheep. And then he tells a second story about a lady who loses this valuable coin, and she tears her house apart until she's holding the coin in her hand again. And then he tells what's probably his most familiar parable. This third story in Luke 15 is about a lost son, a wayward prodigal son. And every day the dad stands and looks out at the horizon line hoping that his son's going to come home looking, looking. And Jesus tells those stories as if to say, lost people matter to me. Lost people matter to God. God's got a heart as big as the world. And he wants lost people to matter to us. Now, we're in the fourth final week of a series called A Heart as Big as the World. Two weeks ago, we launched the series by talking about the global crisis that's going on. And I apologize for repeating this. You've heard it two or three times from me, this global crisis. 
But if we don't get this, the reason I repeat it, if we don't get this, nothing we hear in this series is going to make any difference in our lives. See, the crisis is that every person, listen, every person on the planet has disconnected from God. Every person, without exception. We've all chosen to go our own way instead of God's way. Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament said, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the problem with going your way instead of God's way is that you're unplugging from the one who is the source of life. And when you disconnect from the source of life, you die. That's the penalty. The Bible says the penalty for sins, the wages of sins, Romans 6 verse 23, is death. It begins with spiritual death. Every one of us has been spiritually dead, disconnected from God. And that spiritual death leads to physical death. One day, every one of us, across all four auditoriums listening to me right now, anybody who's listening to this online, every one of us, without exception, is going to die physically. And if we haven't resolved this problem, if we haven't come up with an antidote to death, when we die physically, we will pass into eternity and our death will become a permanent state. This is what the Bible teaches. This is a global crisis. And, and somehow we manage to push it out of our minds to you know, live blissfully ignorant of it. Our days revolve around our jobs and our family activities and the Cubs are in the playoffs and the this. And, and the biggest crisis of all time. Every minute, 105 people are dying. Every minute and many of those people are passing into eternity without having resolved the death problem their death is going to become a permanent condition do we care well god cares and that's why second week of the series we learned about a global savior God cares so much for our global crisis, he sends his son, Jesus. Jesus comes to earth, lives a perfect life, then lays that life down on the cross. Why? He doesn't die as a martyr for a cause. He dies as a representative, one willing to take the hit, willing to take the penalty our sins deserve. Our sins deserve death. Jesus takes death in our place so that he can offer us forgiveness and a life, eternal life that begins the day you surrender your life to him and continues on in, into eternity. So the big question is, have you surrendered your life to him? Jesus says, the minute you surrender to him, look this up sometime, John 5, 24. He says that people who do this pass over from death to life. Some of you have already made that transition. You've gone from death to life. Some of you are still living in death. Now, that good news that Jesus offers us life, that, that's good news that every, everybody everywhere has got to hear. And that's why the third week of the series, we talked about our global mission, getting this good news about Jesus everywhere. And so I reminded you that we've got, at Christ Community, we've got six international partners we're working with. So you could live in St. Charles, Bartlett, Blackberry Creek, DeKalb, and you could still have a concern for the world, be engaged with the world, first of all, by going online, looking up our partners, finding out a little bit more about them so you could pray for them. I said last week, go home, do that. Did you do it? Again, you thought you were supposed to just come and listen, not do anything with this, right? So get to know our partners. 
You know, there's six of them, so you could pray for a different one each day of the week, and then the next week start over, or you could just choose one of them to be your partner. You're saying, I'm, my partner's going to be Czech Republic, or it's going to be Sierra Leone, and then learn everything you can about that partner and pray for them on a daily basis. But don't stop with prayer, I said last weekend. Go on a go team trip. You know, one time in the next two or three years, join a group of people from Christ Community Church and go to serve one of our partners for seven to ten days. You're going to have to take some vacation time to do it. It's going to be a stretching experience for you. It ain't going to be a vacation. Let me tell you, you're going to work hard. At the end of the service, all, all three services in St. Charles and multiple services at the other campuses, we said, if you're willing to do this, come forward. Over 600 people said yes, and they came forward. Global, I want to be part of the global mission. Now, today we're going to take it one step further. We're going to conclude this Heart as Big as the World series by focusing not on the world way out there, but on the people who are closest to you. We're going to focus on the people you run into every day, the family members, co-workers, neighbors, the barista at your favorite coffee shop, the receptionist at the dentist office, you know, the guy who changes the oil in your car. How many of those people need to hear the good news about Christ with clarity? How many of those people are currently disconnected from God and so spiritually dead? Or, or to use the metaphor that I used in my opening story about little lost Becca, how, how many of those people are still spiritually lost? And, and they aren't concerned that they're lost because they don't know that they're lost. What's worse, they don't know that being spiritually lost is a, is a dangerous condition to be in. But we know that. You know, we, we, we know that if they've never surrendered their lives to Christ, they're headed for eternal death. So what are we going to do about it? I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is our text for, for the day. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at one verse. Now, I don't know if you have notice this in the series if you've been here the previous three weeks but every week our bible text has been getting bigger and bigger so the first week of the series we talked about the global crisis we looked at one verse romans 5 verse 12 second week of the series clayton taught about jesus the global savior and he took us through an entire book of the bible the gospel of matthew one of jesus biographies and then the third week of the series last week we got bigger i took you through the whole bible we started in Genesis and worked our way all the way to Revelation, cover to cover, looking at the global mission. Well, today we're going to come full circle. We're going to come back to just one simple, straightforward, profound, powerful verse. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. These are Jesus' final instructions to his followers. He's resurrected from the dead. He's about to return to heaven and take up his kingly throne. This is the... These are the marching orders he wants ringing in their ears. This is what Bible scholars refer to as the Great Commission. Some of you are saying, wait a second, I was here last week. You call something else the Great Commission. Okay, last week the text was Matthew 28. You said that's the Great Commission. Now we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, and you're saying that's the Great Commission. Where's the Great Commission? Well, the Great Commission is repeated five times in the New Testament because it's so important. Jesus marching orders to us. You'll find him at the end of each of the four Gospels, and you'll find him in the first chapter of the book of Acts. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, 
verse 8. As I read this to you, I want you to imagine, not that you're listening to your pastor read the Bible to you. I want you to imagine that Jesus Christ is speaking and he's speaking to you. Because he is. Okay, this is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus is looking you in the eye and he's saying, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You might say that this is the, uh, it's the theme verse of the entire book of Acts. Because the, uh, the gospel goes out, think in terms of concentric circles. The good news about Jesus starts in the hometown where the Jesus' listeners, his followers, are currently living, and then it spreads to Judea and Samaria. Judea is the region in which the city of Jerusalem uh, exists, and then Samaria is the neighboring region. So Jerusalem, next circle, Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, last week, we talked about the ends of the earth. How does this good news get out to the ends of the earth? But today... We're going to focus not on the ends of the earth. We're going to focus on the people closest to you. Your Jerusalem is what I'm going to be referring to. If you want to have a global witness, if you want a witness that eventually gets to the ends of the earth, then it's it's got to start right where you live, right where you play, right where you work. Someone has said, and I love this line, the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. Now think about that. Let me say it again. The light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. Some of you look puzzled, so try this analogy. I've got a lamp in my hands. Okay, it's on a dimmer switch. We turn off all the lights in the St. Charles Auditorium here. And I, I flip on my lamp. It's on its lowest setting, and it illuminates about three rows back. Okay, but everybody behind three rows back, you're still in the dark. So I turn up the dimmer switch a little bit. And now 15 rows back are in the light. But those of you in the balcony, those of you in the back corners of the auditorium in St. Charles, you're, you're still in the dark, so I crank it up full volume. And now the light carries all the way to the back. The light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. If we want to have a global witness... We've got to crank up our light at home. So how do we do that? Three lessons from Acts 1 verse 8. If you haven't taken your outline out yet, I encourage you to write these down. In fact, you might even want to post these someplace where you'll review them every day this week. Bathroom, mirror, car dashboard, wherever. Number one, notice the open doors in your immediate context. Notice the open doors in your immediate context. If your Bible is open to Acts 1-8 still and I'd encourage you to keep it open. There are three words I'm going to ask you to circle today. The first word is the word Jerusalem. So if you've got your Bible, just draw a circle around Jerusalem. This is your immediate context. What what, what I mean by that is this is the place where you have the opportunity to engage in casual conversations with other people. You know, conversations which, which you may possibly be able to direct to a discussion of spiritual matters. Let me give you another metaphor, another word picture here to work with. I want you to picture fishing ponds, all right? On one occasion, Jesus said to his followers, he was trying to encourage them to have conversations about spiritual things with lost people. 
And so he said to them, Matthew 4, verse 19, he said, if you'll come follow me, I will teach you how to fish for people. I will teach you how to fish for people. So I want you to think in terms of fishing ponds. And I want you to think about the places where you live and work and play where you can possibly engage in spiritual conversations with people. Some years ago, uh, I've got a friend who moved to Colorado and he loves to fly fish. And so I was headed out his way and uh, I had just seen the Robert Redford movie, A River Runs Through It. You remember that movie? It's like 15, 20 years old right now. And uh, you know, what a picture it created in my mind, looking at Brad Pitt on the river edge and Montana mountains in the background and it's serene and it's peaceful and he's doing that swish that you do, you fly fisherman. You know, the, the line going in and out and then finally, boom, the little fly drops onto the river. And I'm thinking, that is so cool. I wish I could do that. So I call my friend. I say, I'm coming to Colorado. Would you teach me how to fly fish? He said, oh, yeah, sure. So I get to his house, and we jump in his car, and we're driving down this four-lane highway, and I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be so cool. I mean, we will probably get out in a remote place, middle of nowhere, and there, there are going to be Colorado mountains in the background, and we're going to pull on those boots, and we're going to wade into the middle of a stream. There's going to be nobody else around, and you're going to be able to hear everything. And I'm going to go, Phew. the fly's going to drop in the water. So we're driving down this four-lane road, and all of a sudden, my friend, he pulls over the side of the four-lane, and he parks his car. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, we're going fly fishing. And he jumps out of the car, and he's getting his gear out of the trunk. I said, what, what do you mean? Well, you can't fly fish here. And he's going down the bank, which is the, the road has been running right alongside of a river, and he says, sure you can. I said, but this is not how they did it in the movie. He doesn't care about the movie. He turns to me and he explains to me, he says, Jim, in Colorado, if you love fishing, you carry your rod and reel with you everywhere you go. And wherever you find water that has fish in it, you fish. Now, there, there's a spiritual principle here I don't, I, I don't want you to miss. Some of us who are Christ followers, we are, are waiting for that ideal situation where we can have a conversation with somebody else about Jesus. We've got to picture it in our minds. You know, for me, it's going to be in my backyard on a starry night at my fire pit. The logs are gently burning, and one of my best buds is there who doesn't know Christ, and he's going to be bearing his soul to me like he never has before, telling me about his life problems, and he's going to look up at the starry sky and say, do you think there's a God who even cares about me? He's going to wave his mug of hot cocoa with marshmallows melted on you think there's a god then he's going to look at me and say jim tell me about jesus <laughs> if you're waiting for that you're not going to do a whole lot of people fishing you're not going to have many conversations about Jesus. If that's the kind of opening, now I've slightly exaggerated it, but the truth is we're all waiting for situations like that. Let me tell you, you got to start looking at fishing ponds that are all around you. you got to fish wherever there's fish. You know, for some of you, that's at work. You know, you, if you work a job that allows for casual conversation, you start showing up at work and saying, I'm, I'm here to fish. I'm here to do a job, but I'm also here to fish. You're looking for an opportunity for a conversation. Now, some of you don't do jobs that allow those kind of casual conversations. 
you know, or you work at a Christian organization like I do. How boring is that? If it's not work, where is it? Is it the health club where you work out? Is it the dog park where you give Fido exercise and while your dog's romping with other dogs, you have an opportunity to talk to other dog owners? You know, is it the sidelines of one of your kids' sports events where parents, you know, are able to talk about life with other parents? Is it at your next AA meeting where you're able to say, you know, I found my, fi- my higher power to be Jesus? Where, where is it for you? Is it your neighborhood? See, for, for the fishing pond to be our neighborhood, guess what? We've got to get to know our neighbors. You know, I've confessed to you that for years, Sue and I had done a, just an okay job in that regard, A few years back, we decided to turn it up a few notches. That's why we're using Christ Community Church's strategy called canning hunger. So several times a year, we roll out our little red wagon and we go up and down two blocks where we live collecting canned goods for the local food pantry. Our neighbors love it because it gives them a chance to do something for poor people. And we love it because in addition to collecting food for poor people, we're getting to know our neighbors you got a reason to go to their door and ring the bell and talk to them. And every time we find out something new, we hurry back to our little red wagon. And before we forget it, we write it down in a journal so that we'll remember what our neighbors have told us about themselves. You know, we, 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 we just got a brand new idea about friendship building conversations with neighbors. I, I've been reading a book this fall called The Art of Neighboring. And this guy comes up with a really brilliant idea, the art of neighboring. He says, if we want more friendship-building conversations with our neighbors, we got to stop hanging out in the backyard all the time and start hanging out in the front yard. And I thought, that's so simple. You know, instead of being with your family on the patio, you just you sit out front where people are passing by. In fact, I thought it was such a good idea. I went to our contractor. We just, just hired a guy to build a little portico over our stoop. You know, we've lived there for 20-some years, and we say, yeah, guests come to our door when it's raining, and they stand in the rain while they wait for us to open the door. Let's build a little roof over it. So I went back to our contractor, and I said, I want that little roof to be a little bit bigger, a few feet either direction, so we could put chairs on our porch and occasionally sit there, and we watch people with baby strollers and dogs and whatever walking by. What a great idea. Where are your fishing ponds? Where are your fishing ponds? Do you see, do you see them as fishing ponds? <laughs> do you see them as places where you can engage spiritually lost people in conversations uh, about Jesus? Yes, I want you to go on a go team to Bangladesh or Brazil or wherever, but you, you don't have to go on a go team to search for spiritually lost people. They're, they're in your Jerusalem. They're right where you live. They're right where you work. They're right where you play. Notice the open doors in your immediate context. And when you see an open door, for goodness sake, walk through it. When you're at your fishing pond, remind yourself, I'm at the fishing pond. And throw a line in the water. So what do you mean throw a line? Well, say something that will move a conversation in a spiritual direction. Which leads us to the second lesson in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Lesson number two, learn to tell your story well. Learn to tell your story well. Go back to Acts 1.8. You've already circled the word Jerusalem, which stands for the open doors in your immediate context. I want you to circle a second word. It's the word witnesses. Jesus tells his followers that 
You know, he wants us to be his witnesses. See it there, middle of the verse? This, by the way, is the key word for the entire book of Acts. Pops up 39 times in one form or another. Witnesses, witnesses, witnesses. What is a witness? Witness is simply someone who tells what they've seen or heard or experienced. If you're a witness to Jesus, it means that you're, you're telling other people about your relationship with Jesus. You're a witness. I, I find it interesting that the book of Acts is the history of the early church. And, and when the reputation is summed up in one word, what people know them for is summed up in one word. This is the word, witnesses. They fearlessly, they boldly tell people about Jesus. When I say fearless and bold, you know, I mean it. The word witness here is a translation of the Greek word martus, from which we also get our English word martyr. Some of these people gave their lives in order to tell others about Jesus. So it kind of makes me wonder if we were to choose one word and say, this is the one word that describes people who are part of Christ's community church. It's, would we say witnesses? Yeah, you run into one of these people at work or the neighborhood or on the golf course, and they're going to get around talking about what Jesus means to their lives. You can bet on that. If there were one word to describe your relationship with Christ, would it be witness? Would that word make the top three or top five? Witness. That's what I am. That's what I desire to be. A witness. Now, being a witness assumes that you have a personal story to tell. See, if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ yet, then, then you haven't seen or heard or experienced something to pass on to others. You have to have a first-hand relational experience with Jesus. You don't get that till the day that you surrender your life to him, and then the adventure begins. And there, there are three parts to these personal stories that Jesus wants us to tell. There is the before part, where you simply say, yeah, this is what my life was like before I surrendered it to Christ. You describe it. And then there's a second part. The second part is the decision part. And here's how I made the decision to surrender. This is what I did. This is what I said. This is when and where it happened. This is the person who helped me understand this decision. And then there's a third part. And the third part is this is what's happened after I surrendered to Christ. What, what's been going on in my life since Jesus took control. There's a before, there's a decision, there's an after. Some of you are saying, sounds complicated. Actually, it's really, really simple. In fact, if you will come to our everyday evangelism seminar, you know, Jim Kay, our evangelism pastor, he, he, he does this across four campuses. It's a four-hour seminar, Saturday morning. Go online, find out when it's playing at your campus. But if you'll go to this seminar, one of the things you'll be taught how to do is to craft your story so you can tell it in three minutes. See, that's about all the time you're going to get to tell your story in most situations. You've got to know the elevator version of it. People aren't going to listen to this 25-minute you know, presentation. Yeah, when I was five, we moved to Peoria, and my dad took a job with a railroad, and I bought a dog named Skippy. And then, I'm sorry, they're tuned out. Okay, so you got to cut to the quick. It's, you know, what was life like before Jesus? How'd you make this decision? What's happened since? Do it in three minutes. By, by the way, if you've ever been to a baptism 
celebration of Christ Community Church. Our next one is at the end of this month. And there will be scores of stories told across four campuses. Young people telling stories, middle-aged people telling stories just before they get dunked in the water. And if you've never gone public, by the way, all those stories appear online afterward. Their story before, decision, after. Their stories are all online. If you've never gone public with your decision to trust Christ, but you've surrendered to him, be part of the next baptism. Go to the orientation class. One of the things you'll learn how to do there, just like at Everyday Evangelism, is tell your story in three minutes. They'll make you write it out. So throw your hat over that fence. I'm going to go for it. Go to a baptism orientation class. Where are your fishing ponds? Number one, number two, have you learned to tell your story well? Being a, being a witness assumes you've got a story. And I know some of you are thinking, you know, my story's pretty boring. Like if you heard any of the stories that get told at our baptism celebrations, you know, sometimes someone will say, I was addicted to alcohol and then I surrendered my life to Christ and I'm sober and my life has purpose or I was cheating on my spouse or, you know, just before I surrendered to Christ, my best friend in life died in a car accident and it shook me up, the realization that I'm mortal too. And you say, well, my story's not like that. I, I want to tell you something. My story's not like that either. You know, when I tell my story, my before, decision, after story, it, it revolves around the theme of self-centeredness. See, I, I explain how as a boy I grew up in a, in a Christ-loving home, but I danced around the, you know, the outside edges of the Christian faith until I got to college. In my freshman year of college, one day I came to the realization that my life was pretty self-centered. Most of my relationships revolved around me, that I manipulated friends and girlfriends especially to get what I wanted out of the relationship. And I was just sick and tired of it. And that's the kind of sin that disconnects you from a holy God. And that's the kind of sin that Christ paid for on the cross. He died the death that my self-centeredness deserves. And I surrendered my life fully to him as a savior and king. Now, when I tell that, how many people you think can identify with the theme of self-centeredness? Like, everybody? <laughs> right? See, you don't have to have a dramatic life change story. You do need a story. Now, a couple of things I want to say about being a witness and learning how to tell your story well before we move on to our final point. You know, the first thing I want to say is you really got to learn how to transition from small talk to your story. And I found this is the hardest part of witnessing. So you're, you're talking, you're having a good conversation, but it's about the Cubs, it's about your boyfriend, it's about your job, it's about this, it's about that. And how do you get one of these conversations to a, you know, let's talk about Jesus. And, and let, me, let me tell you right off the bat that this is the hardest part of witnessing and there is no one way to do it. You learn by trial and error. You learn by experience experimenting with different transitional lines. So this is how I'm learning how to do it in my own life. When somebody says, hey, this line really helps me in conversation, get things to a spiritual direction, you know, I listen. So let me give you a few of those transitions. You might want to jot these down because if you want to go fishing, you're going to need to know how to shift from small talk 
the gospel, good news about Jesus talk. So one transition goes like this. 95% of you tomorrow, Monday, you're going to be asked this question at work or at school. Somebody's going to look at you after the weekend. What are they going to say to you? They're going to ask you a question. Yeah. How was your weekend? What'd you do this weekend? And most of us, we're going we're gonna to have this lame answer. It's going to be, oh, I chilled, you know, did a little yard work, watched as much of the Bears game as I could take. <laughs> if that's it, you fumbled the ball, pun intended, all right? You just, you, you know, you dropped it. Now, some of you, you think you know where I'm going next. Say, oh, I, this is where you tell us we should have said, I went to church. Now, if that's all you say, you just kill the conversation, okay? They're going to move on quick. What you do, that's half of the right answer. You say, I went to church, and, you know, one of the things I learned is how important it is to share your your spiritual journey with other people, and I probably have never even told you about mine, have I? See how this works? I just transitioned. You know, what are they going to say? No, you haven't, and shut up. I don't think so. If you don't like the wording of that, then work with it. You massage it till it works for you. Kevin Harney has written a wonderful book. Uh, The book is called Organic Outreach for Ordinary People. It's got a huge name. Jim Kay, our evangelism guy, tells me this is the best book out there on personal evangelism right now. So Organic Outreach for Ordinary People, picked it up, read it cover to cover. One of the things Kevin says he does every time he goes to a restaurant, when the server comes to get his order, he says, hey, in a few minutes when you bring the food back, I'm probably going to pray and thank God for the food. And while I'm praying, if there's anything in your life that I could pray about for you, I'm happy to do it. Just tell me what it is. I thought, that is a great line. I'm stealing it, dude. I mean, I, that, is so, that is so easy. And it's, you say, oh, that doesn't sound genuine to me. I got a guy on staff. I just heard this this morning. He, he's on the line with Comcast trying to get them to provide the services they promised to provide. You know, he's trying to be patient and loving, and he comes to the end of the conversation, and all he says is, hey, I'm a prayer. If there's anything in your life I could pray about for you, I'd be happy to. Long silence at the other end of the line. And finally, the guy says, you got to be kidding me. This is the first time anyone has ever volunteered to do that for me and shared a bunch of prayer requests. It's in, in the Philippines, by the way. This guy, you want to do global witness? Just talk to a service provider these days, right? And volunteer to pray for them. You know, you'll be in India, China, you'll be someplace. Yeah. Here, here's another real simple transition. Just ask about somebody else's spiritual journey. Just ask. Again, word the question in a way that's comfortable for you. So was God important in your family growing up? I'm just curious. And then, boom, they're telling you. And when they're done, guess what you have the opportunity to do? To talk about your spiritual journey. I'm not saying you do this in a manipulative way. If you don't mean it, if you're not genuinely interested, don't use that question. But if you care about that person and you want to know about their spiritual journey, ask, and you'll be given an opportunity. Give you one more idea for transitions, okay? Just to stoke the fires. Have you noticed how many people got tattoos these days? Yeah, just everybody. Okay. So I started noticing this some time ago. 
And I started taking advantage of it to begin conversations with people. You ask someone who's got a tattoo, so what's that t- tattoo about? And boom, they're, they're off and running. And what I've learned is not just to ask, you know, what does it say or what does it mean, but why did you get it? So I'm dropping my dog off at the groomer a week ago, and the dude, he's got a, an angel with a smile on its face on this arm and an angel frowning on this arm. And I said, like, like, what's up with that? And he said, well, I make a lot of stupid decisions in my life. I'm going, yeah, I do too. And he goes, so this is just a reminder. I could listen to the good angel or the bad angel. I said, oh, interesting. I said, you got to see this. And I hold my arm up. I stand at the door and knock. I said, any idea who said that? I've been asking that ever since I had the ink put on my arm. No one has given me the right answer yet. Not a single person has known those are the words of Jesus. And so they go, no. And I said, well, that's Jesus. Last book of the Bible. He says that he stands at the door of our hearts knocking, waiting for us to invite him in. And this is a reminder that God's son wants a personal relationship with me. Just blows me away. And people say what people with tattoos say. They say, that's cool. (laughs) It doesn't matter what the tattoo is. You say, that's cool. But then I turn the corner. I ask, so I'm curious, would you say that Jesus is somebody on the inside of the door of your life or on the outside? I've had one person say inside so far. Everybody else has said outside or I'm not sure. I'd like to think he's on the inside, but I think he's on the outside. We're off and running. Now, please understand, I'm not promoting tattoo evangelism, all right? (laughs) In fact, let let me say, before I got this sucker, (laughs) okay, I made a careful study of that Old Testament law in Leviticus, and what does it say, and and I made up my mind, you know, I don't think it's a prohibition against doing this, and I had a long conversation, I had six conversations with Sue if I had one, to make sure I had my wife's permission. So you think you're 17 years old, and your parents aren't letting you have a tattoo, and when you get older, you'll be able to do what you want? No, you won't. (laughs) You won't. You know? So, you know, so you got to get permission there. And then I prayed about it. I prayed for six months to a year about whether or not to do this. God, will, will this work like the way I think it will work, like I hope it will work? And while the dude's putting the tattoo on my arm, I said, just so you know, this is the most prayed for tattoo you've ever put on somebody's body. Yeah. And this is not my story. This is the door opener. This is a transition. It doesn't work with people who don't have tattoos. I got to have some other approach there. And this one doesn't even work with people with tattoos all the time. My story is nothing but window dressing. It's nothing but color commentary. It's nothing but an illustration. The big story is God's story. So I somehow got to get from my story to God's story. I'll tell you the simplest way to do it. You've heard me say this before. It's our little booklet called the God's Good News booklet. I keep one in my wallet. I keep one in my day pack. I keep one in the glove compartment of my car. Every time I use one, I reload. Because at the end of exchanging trivia about our tattoos, I say, hey, can I leave you with something? This little booklet has my favorite Bible verses in it. In fact, it will tell you how to get Jesus on the inside if you're interested. And sometimes if the conversation permits talking longer, I might go through the little booklet with them. Most often it doesn't, but at least they've got some background. Because we've exchanged stories, they're now willing to look at my little booklet. And when I leave, I pray like crazy. I pray God help them to read it, not throw it out. 
Now open their eyes to understand what's on the inside of it. Lead them to surrender to Christ. I pray like crazy, which leads me to our third lesson from Acts 1.8. Draw upon the Holy Spirit's power. Back to Acts 1.8, one last time, I want to give you a third word to circle. Jerusalem, because you start in your immediate context looking for open doors. Witnesses, because you're called to tell your story. What have you seen, heard, experienced with Christ? Third word I want you to circle is the word power. Jesus tells his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The word power here comes from the Greek dunamis. Dunamis is also the Greek word from which we get our English dynamite. Jesus promises his followers explosive power. The question is for what? Don't miss this. We all want power from God. For what? Okay, what is it Jesus gives us power for? Is it, is it strictly for achieving personal goals? Is it for overcoming obstacles in our lives, resolving interpersonal conflicts, succeeding vocationally? What is this power, Acts 1-8, supposed to be used for? It's power for witnessing to Jesus. And it's going to take power for our witness to penetrate people's defenses, to compel them to surrender their lives to Christ. Let, let me remind you, before your friend, your family member, your neighbor, your work associate, before they surrender to Christ, they are spiritually dead. They look alive on the outside, but on the inside, spiritually speaking, the Bible says they're dead. Have you ever tried to get a dead person to do something? They're totally unresponsive, right? So, so you can talk about Jesus to a friend who's never surrendered and lead up to, and you got to surrender your life to Christ, and they're going to look at you, and what do you think they're going to say? Oh, I get it. That's what I'll do right now. You know, we can't convince them that they're lost. Remember the story of Becca? You know, spiritually lost people don't get that they're lost. They don't understand that Jesus paid for their sins on the cross. They're totally resistant to the idea of surrendering their lives to somebody. Are you kidding me? And we can't convince them of any of these things. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We've got to partner with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who provides witnessing power this is why you're constantly praying in the back of your mind while you're talking with a friend. You're saying, oh, Lord, please, by your spirit, direct this conversation to spiritual things. What should I say, God? You're saying, Holy Spirit, give me boldness right now. Like right now, i got to step up or shut up. You're saying, Holy Spirit, open this person's heart so that they're really interested in what I have to say. Keep them, keep them attentive. Holy Spirit, lead them to the place. Let the lights go on that this is what I need for my life. We, we have to partner with the Holy Spirit. We've got to draw upon the Holy Spirit's power. You know, one of my favorite sports stories comes from the glory days of the Chicago Bulls. You know, Back in 1990, the Bulls were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers Michael Jordan scored a career-high 69 points in that game. This was also one of the first games in which Stacy King played as a bull. He was out on the court a total of 17 minutes, took four shots, didn't make one of them, had an opportunity to shoot three free throws, made one, so at the end of the game, he had scored a whopping one point. 
A couple days later, a sports reporter is interviewing Stacey King, and he says, well, what is your best memory so far in the NBA? And Stacy gets this grin on his face, and he says, well, it was just a couple of nights ago when Michael Jordan and I scored 70 points in a game. <laughs> that would be 69 for Michael and one for Stacy for a grand total of 70. Yes. Yes. Friends, this is what it's like partnering with the Holy Spirit. It's not up to you. It's up to him. This gives you so much liberty. All you got to do is open your mouth and start talking. You might say the wrong things, but the Holy Spirit, he'll massage it. Don't worry. You're worried that you're going to drive a person off. They're not going to be driven off if the Holy Spirit has their attention. Let, let, me, let me tell you one closing story. Then we're going to get to communion. This story is also told by Kevin Harney in his book, Organic Outreach for Ordinary People. It's a story of Karen, who has been going to the same uh, nail person, what do you call those people? Nail person, for, uh, I can't believe I'm telling a nail story, okay? Feels so unguy-like to do this. But to the same nail person for a couple of years, her name's Cindy. And Karen's a follower of Jesus, and she's been trying to bring up spiritual things in conversation. Well, Cindy's smart. The minute she catches a whiff of that, any mention made of church, the Bible, God, prayer, Jesus, boom, she's changing the subject. And so one day, Karen is scheduled to go for whatever it is that those people do. And she has a doctor appointment earlier in the day. She has a daughter who's got a life-threatening illness. And the doctor gives her some really bad news. And she's all worked up inside, and she's thinking, if, if I have to talk to anybody, I'm going to burst into tears. But she feels compelled. She feels like God wants her to keep this nail appointment. And so she prays. She prays as she has in the past. God opens Cindy's heart. Help her to listen. Help us to get around to spiritual things, not just small talk. Give her an interest in Jesus. Help me to be bold. You know, all those Holy Spirit partner with me requests. She gets in there and Cindy starts to do, what is it? Buffing. Is buffing something they do? Okay, buffing. And Cindy, Cindy looks at Karen and she asks the question you would expect a nail person to ask. She says, so how's it going? Innocent enough. And Karen opens her mouth and the dam breaks. And the, the thing she, she fears will happen happens. She's just a mess, and she blurts out her daughter's life-threatening disease and the doctor report from that day. But in the middle of it all, she's weaving in, not even intentionally, that if it weren't for Jesus in her life, she would never be able to face this, never be able to handle it. But God has been giving her wisdom, and he's been right there with her. And, and she looks into her amazement. Cindy is listening to every word she says. And Cindy's asking questions. And the whole conversation takes on a spiritual tone. See, at her weakest as a witness, Karen learned that the Holy Spirit gives power. Partner with the Holy Spirit. Three lessons today if you want to be a global witness. The light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. So number one, notice the open doors in your immediate context. Start looking at your job, your neighborhood, other places where you hang out. Start looking at them as fishing ponds. Remind yourself, if necessary, right out loud, I'm going to my fishing pond. And secondly, learn to tell your story well. 
If you don't know how to tell your story, you don't know how to tell the elevator version, go to everyday evangelism. If you've never been baptized, get baptized at the end of this month. Go to the orientation class. Make yourself, put your story down in a three-minute format. By the way, if you, you want somebody else's story to tell, invite someone next weekend to come hear Sadie's story. That's where it begins. That's easy enough to do, right? Number three, draw upon the Holy Spirit's power. Now, in a moment, we're going to do communion. This is my favorite time of the month at Christ Community. Before we go there, I want to say a word about the series that we begin two weeks from today, because next weekend, it's the Wow Weekend with Sadie. But two weekends from today, we start this next series, and I am so pumped. I've been preparing for this since the summer, and if you didn't see the three-minute interview with me online, go online. you get a little more background to next. It's going to cover the book of Nehemiah, which is like the best leadership primer that you'll find in the Bible. If you're a business leader, uh, you're a parent, you're a coach, this is really great stuff. But we're also going to cover it from the standpoint of what is the next big thing that God has for your life? We just believe around here God has a big plan for you. What is it? Do you know what it is? Do you know how to figure it out? So we're going to cover that. And then not only on an individual level, we're going to share with you corporately the vision that God's given us next stage for Christ Community Church. Here's what's bubbling up. Here's what's going to be happening in the next couple of years at Christ Community Church. So we've asked all of our community groups to track with this series. We'll do this occasionally. So you're going to be studying, if you're in a group, we've got 300 and some adult groups, you're going to be studying the same material at your weekly meeting that we're covering at the weekend service, which means if you're not in a group, you're missing half the oomph of this series. So if you're not, a, please consider getting in a community group now so that you could be part of this next series and get the most out of it. And if you're a group leader, I know we're asking you, some of you have started up for the fall and you're going to have to stop whatever curriculum you began with in order to do this four-week next curriculum. But please do it enthusiastically. Please do it as if the next step of the people in your group, this all depends on you getting this right, you really going after it. All right, and this is going to trickle down, by the way, all through student ministries, all the way to kids' world. If you're the parent of a grade schooler, they're going to come home each weekend with questions to ask as a family. How do we figure out what's next for us? How do we participate in God's big plan for our individual lives and what he's got going at Christ Community Church? So that's what's next. Now, let me pray, and when I'm done praying, our pastors at each of our campuses are going to lead in communion. Let's pray. Lord God, in just a moment, we're going to hold in our hands bread and cup. Please help us not to do this irreverently. For those of us who've done this many, many times, help it to be fresh, help it to be profound. As we think what it cost you in sending your son to die for us, to redeem lost people, your search and rescue mission required the giving up of your son. And so we pray that this would be a meaningful time for us as we celebrate what he did for us in Jesus' name. Amen.